Leave me, I don't want to set the world on fire. I just want to start a flame in your heart. All right. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. And I can't hear myself, which is not a good thing. Um, <laughs> all right, there I am. Uh, so here we are today. It is Monday, September 28th, 2020. And a lot of things are coming to the surface, stuff we talked about before. And um, a lot of uh, exciting news, uh, you know, for us patriots and for us Americans. But... Also, disheartening news that war has already started. Uh, we're going to get into that. It was atrocious yesterday watching the press conference, and not one person asked about war having sparked uh, out in, uh, <laughs> in uh, uh, between Azerbaijan and Armenia, and no one is talking about it. But you know what I'm going to do today? In respects to that, I'm going to show you just how fake the news are. The news are very fake, lots of misinformation in regards to that for years now. I'm not talking about just right now, for years now. And we're going to cover that uh, before we get into like the details of what's going on and why it's going on. In the meantime, in our local news, you know, we're supposed to have the debate. And it seems that, uh, you know, Joe Biden doesn't want to have a drug test. And it's um, kind of weird because it's, wait a minute. The president said so. Who are you to say no? I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. But uh, this is the president of the United States. And he said, we're having a drug test. We should have a drug drug test. Why is it that he doesn't want one? Doesn't want us to see what? What he's on? Or is he worried about possible detection of identity per se. I mean, you know, when you get things, you kind of uh, can pull DNA from almost anything and see almost anything. I mean, there's a lot of reasons that he would say no to that. Is that the excuse he's going to use for not attending the conference? Is it? Are we going to see another DeWine action positive for COVID or something? Or just I'm not doing it because I said so. Who are you to say so? And why is that even okay? I mean, the left cannot stand behind, oh, D Joe Biden said he doesn't want to have drug test, so he's not going to be doing the debate or he's not going to listen to the president. Um, That's not right. There is a respect that there should be for the office always. So um, this is a problem, a very, very big problem. Mm, interesting, isn't it? Well, we'll see. Will it happen tomorrow? Will it not? Who knows? In the meantime, uh, the mainstream media has uh, pretty much gone up in arms, really upset that President Trump has stellar accountants and only paid $750 in federal income taxes uh, in 2016 and 2017. So that means he's really he's got a really, really good accountant. So I don't understand what the issue is here? Are you saying that he should have paid more? Hmm. That's interesting. 
Very interesting. They're very upset about that. Uh, and uh, <laughs> makes you wonder uh, what the problem is. On the other hand, we have the left attacking Baron Trump again. Mm. Attacking Baron Trump. Why? I mean, I want to know why they're attacking a child, a 14-year-old child. Why are you using a child? See, that's the problem. See, this is where you can see where we have good people and bad people, anyone, using children in their arguments is unacceptably, <laughs> unapologetically, oh gosh, a worthless human being. It's disgusting. So uh, we see that a lot of them think, uh, you know, that kids are fair game. They're making it normal. And look, the normalization of using kids as weapons is already on the right, too. I mean, we have to admit that. That's the way it is. They prey on children. And see... Americans that are God-fearing, that love their nation, the one thing they do love is children because the children are indeed our future. Ergo, they're always off limits. Speaking of children are our future, uh, when I was uh, getting ready for church yesterday morning, I love to stream some 80s music, uh, you know, when I'm in the shower or getting dressed and I was hearing the wind of change music and it struck me. Damn, do you know why 80s movies, 90s movies, and some 70s, late 70s were so prophetic and so cryptic? They were bona fide propaganda. Like, oh dear, such a big push. The more I listen to them, the more I see they were saying a lot and uh, not saying so much, if that makes sense. It was what they weren't saying and what they were pushing. So um, that was uh, pretty interesting. Now, uh, where do we start today? I think uh, one thing we should start with is um, what Matt Gates had to say about the future of the Republican Party. The reason I say this is not because I endorse anything that's said by people, you know, I'm my own person, right? But it was uh, the verbiage was what was interesting. Also, I want you now to hear what uh, the press secretary said just about, um, was it 30, 40 minutes ago to Fox and Friends, um, is it, yeah, to Fox and Friends, about uh, the biased media after President Trump's uh, tax report. I want to start with that because that's, um, that's pretty interesting. In the meantime, we're still burning in California. The world is completely on fire right now, and nobody's really talking about it. Kind of are, kind of aren't. Thanks for Kevin Cork for putting that out. Uh, it's uh, pretty, pretty devastating for those of us that care about our nation and our fellow citizens, regardless of where they live. I mean, they can always move if they want. But I mean, are you just going to up and leave your home? How? Are you covered? Mm, interesting, right? Here we go with the press secretary. Let's bring in Kaylee McEnany. She is the White House press secretary. Good morning to you, Kaylee. 
Good morning, Ainsley. Good morning. I want to talk to you about that. What do you make of the timing of this, the tax thing coming out, you know, a day before the debate? And how is he preparing for the debate? Now, we've seen this play out before where there was a hit piece about the president's taxes uh, just before a debate, an inaccurate one at that. Uh, this is the same playbook they tried in 2016, the same playbook that the American people rejected um, and will do so again. So the president's focused on the issues. He's focused on the American people right now, uh, bringing back the economy, a V-shaped recovery that's looking more like a super V, uh, working through COVID, breaking through barriers as we aim to get a vaccine by the end of the year fastest rate um, in history. So that's what this president's focused on and his results tell the story, which will make it a debate uh, that is quite easy when you have so many accomplishments to share. So I saw Chris Christie there. Well, we heard his voice. Uh, we saw Mark Adam, Rudy Giuliani and you. And it says the three of you have helped get the president ready. And the president was kind of vague on how many hours he put in and what it was like. Uh, would you want to expand on that a little bit? Do you did you have you been studying Joe Biden and brought that angle to the president? Um, have the president focused on any category in particular uh, from the, the virus to his own record to race, uh, the riots in the Supreme Court? Have you been did you break it up into categories and approach it that way? Well, the president went through a number of topics um, during his preparation yesterday. But as he has said um, vocally and publicly, his debate prep happens each and every day when he is at that podium taking questions, vicious questions at that, unfair questions from a media that's very biased. When he goes to the plane and he gaggles on the way there and on the way back, he takes more questions than any president in history. He's very transparent, unlike Joe Biden, uh, who really has been hiding away. Well, we know from the Democrats uh, who were very effective in 2018 regaining the uh, majority in the House that when you run on simply Republicans are going to take your health care if they win, the Democrats won. They're using that same playbook this time with the president and with the president's pick for the Supreme Court, Amy Coney Barrett. Don't trust me. Just watch for yourself. President Trump sees a chance to fulfill his explicit mission, steal away the vital protections of the ACA from countless families. What I am concerned about is anyone that President Trump would have appointed was there to undo the Affordable Care Act. And if she gets on the court, it's a virtual certainty that over 150 million Americans health care will be hurt dramatically. It's very clear from her writings, multiple writings, that she will be the vote that takes away health care for millions of Americans. You got to figure Joe Biden's going to say that. And we know that uh, during the debate prep, uh, the president, according to Axios, has been using flashcards. What are like your three bullet points on answering that, that if she's in so many people's health care is out? Well, let me say this first and disentangle this issue. One, uh, the president would never ask his nominee to prejudge a case. So he would never ask Amy Coney Barrett or any of his nominees uh, to look at a case and tell him how they would come down. That aside, what I can say about the president and health care is his record says it all. When you really dig into this, and I understand the Democrats uh, may not be looking at the president's health care record because they want to deny this is the health care president. They don't want to bring to light what happened with Obamacare, the facts bear out that under Obamacare from 2013 to 2017, premiums were going up. Drug costs were going up. 
President Trump comes in 2017 on, premiums come down, drug costs come down for the first time in 50 years. And you had healthcare monopolies in a lot of these states, these exchanges with one single Obamacare plan. President Trump has expanded choice and he's done this by dismantling Obamacare, and bringing us better, more affordable health care. I want to ask you about uh, this writer for Vanity Fair. This is what she tweeted out. She said, talking about Amy Comey, uh, Co Coney Barrett, she said, I guess one of the things I don't understand about Amy Comey, Coney Barrett is how a potential Supreme Court justice can also be a loving, present mom to seven kids. Is this like the Kardashian stuffing nannies in the closet and pretending that they have drawn their own baths for their children. You know, I don't know about you, Kaylee, but most of us work not only because we love our jobs, but we have to. We have to put food on the table and provide roof over the heads for our children. And is she suggesting that you can't be a professional woman and an effective mother? Yes, she is. What a disgusting attack on working moms all across this country. Yes, you can do both. You can have a career and be a mother. I was with my 10-month-old late last night, and then I showed up here in the morning to work, and there's no better example of being a working mom than Amy Coney Barrett, who has seven kids, two of whom she adopted uh, and has, has brilliant history jurisprudence at Notre Dame Law School and then on the bench. That's an attack not just on Amy Coney Barrett. It's an attack on suburban moms across America working moms across America. So we're looking at all different scenarios with this election because it's supposed to be so close. And with all these mail-in ballots unsolicited in some states like New Jersey and Pennsylvania, uh, we don't know how this is going to come out. But it could be so close if for the first time in over 100 years it could be kicked to the House. And this is what the Speaker said to House Democrats. Quote, the Constitution says that a candidate must receive a majority of the state delegations to win. We must achieve that majority of delegations or keep the Republicans from doing so. It's sad we have to have to plan this way, but it's what we must do to ensure the election is not stolen. Your reaction? Yeah, that's ridiculous. Of course, um, Nancy Pelosi wants this uh, to play out. She knows the only way she can win is by manipulating the election with these mail-in ballots because the president's record stands for itself and the American people recognize it. But, you know, this is really troubling, Brian, when you find seven ballots um, in a ditch that were Trump ballots that were just cast aside. That was in Pennsylvania. There was another episode in Wisconsin of absentee ballots that were not delivered. Um, this is happening across the country and Democrats need to get their act together in these states that are doing mass mail-out voting because ballot languishing in trash cans, which is what we saw in Nevada's primary, is not an acceptable and tenable way to do an election. We know you've got a very busy week there at the White House in Cleveland and elsewhere. So, Kaylee, thank you very much for spending a little of your Monday with us here at Fox & Friends. Thank you, Steve. So before we get to Matt Gates, I want to get to what they said about Amy, Judge Amy. So as a mom that worked a million jobs and relied on the father of the children to look after them. Uh, while, you know, I would work, I would fly around, I would do things. Obviously, when I was flying to other countries, uh, there would be seldom communications, but they had, um, you know, um, you know, the other parent at home. And so that is the same here with Judge Amy. They share the, the, the raising of the children. Now that can backfire if you marry someone that isn't so good and you have children with them and, you know, that can, speaking from experience on this one, but to knock a parent that is parenting without nannies and, you know, sharing the raising of the children with family members is disgusting.
it just goes to show that even though they promote feminism and to be able to have children, you know, uh, and work, they just want women to work with no children. Is that the message we're giving? Uh, so it's, it's a pretty disgusting hit. Uh, that they tried to do, and it will indeed backfire. Now, moving along to what Matt Gates had to say, um, he talked about the future of the Republican Party, uh, and that's quite interesting. Uh, I, I want you to listen to what he said, uh, because out of everything, it was what he omitted that was more startling, and hopefully you can uh, see that yourself. Uh, it's um, it's actually quite telling. Now, this is a short five-minute clip uh, where he's uh, talking with uh, Steve Hilton. I will obviously paste the link of the video in the chat. I, I'm not always good at doing that. <laughs> Here we go. Let's uh, let's play this. Congressman Matt Gates, who has a new book out, Firebrand, dispatches from the front lines of the MAGA revolution. So, Matt, I bought this book um, as an author myself. I think it's very important to support fellow authors. I'm afraid it's not arriving till Tuesday. Then your team tried to send me one, and that didn't get here either. Something to do with the coronavirus, probably the shutdown in California. Gavin Newsom's uh, shutdown stopped it. So I haven't read the book. Uh, our audience knows you very well from being on the show um, as our regular guest. What's in the book? Why, why should they read this book? Why should they go out and buy it? I lay bare the corruption of Washington, D.C., where committee assignments and leadership positions are bought and sold for money. It's one of the reasons why I'm the only Republican in Congress who doesn't accept PAC contributions. But I want to define the next generation of populist conservative ideas. It means focusing on China, not trying to build democracies out of blood and sand and Arab militias in the Middle East. It means standing against cancel culture and big tech. And it means realigning our politics under the opportunity we have with this great president to put the American people first. When Donald Trump's no longer president four years from now, I'm not going back to Romneys or the Bushes or the Cheneys. I think we have to go forward. And that means ensuring that we put our people first. We don't invade everywhere. We don't invite everyone to cross our borders legally. And we don't impoverish every town in our great country with trade deals that benefit multinational corporations at the expense of our people. That's my argument. And I hope people check it out on the book. Well, I agree. I, I bought it and you should too, would be my message to our audience. But Lisa, what is interesting, I think, is that conversation about the future of the, of the Republican Party. The word aberration is used a lot in connection with Donald Trump from these days. Oh, Donald Trump's an aberration. I think that what the congressman has laid out there shows, and he's part of this change, um, it's not an aberration. He, Donald Trump has really changed the traje tra trajectory intellectually of the Republican Party. Well, I just want to say I'm a little offended that the congressman didn't send me a signed book, but you'll uh, leave that alone. I'll send you one, Lisa. <laughs> but, <laughs> Okay, <laughs> just making sure. Um, but no, look, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think he's also just changed governing as a president as well. I mean, even just looking at the fact, uh, his approach to deal making, I mean, literally half of the Arab-Israel deals that have ever been made in the United States history have happened under his administration in a matter of months. I mean, you look at the fact of normalizing relations with Serbia, Kosovo, you look at the fact that uh, getting USMCA done with overwhelming bipartisan uh, support, looking at even getting Mexico to step up by dangling tariffs in front of them, 
to step up their game on illegal immigration, just really a smart and outsider approach uh, to governing. But I, I think the realignment is permanent and obviously much more permanent if he wins again, which I think he will in 2020. And, and I think we saw that on full display during the conventions, because if you watch the DNC convention, it was a convention for elites. It was a convention for the Hollywood types, the progressives like AOC and Bernie Sanders. And if you look at the RNC convention, convention, it was everyday Americans who are doing extraordinary things. It was the hardworking Americans. And I think we'll see that reflected again in 2020, because I think he's going to do exceptionally well with white working class voters. And I think he's also going to be doing exceptionally well with all working class voters. I mean, you look at the fact that his numbers are up among Hispanics and African-Americans, Joe Biden's are down in comparison to 2016. So Donald Trump is really a big tent uh, president, someone who's reached out to all Americans by simply just trying to make the economy better for everyone. And we saw that reflected certainly before uh, COVID. Clearly, COVID has made it a little bit difficult, but he will get it back, uh, I think, if he wins re-election, where I think Joe Biden mm. just doesn't really have a clue. Yeah, I would but say the real That was like the, the most perfect summary. Go on, Matt. Sorry, very quickly. Go on. Yeah. Yeah, it's not just a policy realignment. I also think there's a difference in style. You know, Donald Trump has created opportunity for public servants like me to be a little more open, a little more visceral, a little more direct about our likes and dislikes. And we're willing to accept maybe human beings who aren't imperf are, are imperfect if we provide bold leadership. And I think that's what Donald Trump is instilling in the next generation of Republican leaders, this notion that we can be bold and take on the nation's big challenges, work hard to solve them, and we don't have to be scared at the media frame on every issue the way Republicans generation past yeah. were. That's a very deep point and so right. And it's because it's about the substance and results. Great discussion. I love that. Uh, Did you guys hear that? Didn't I tell you that after this election, we're going to have a party of the people. It'll be the toothless guy on the corner with the deli. It'll be people that are not squeaky clean, people that are not DC churnouts, people. Yes, the lion party. This is going to be the most populous. We the people party ever. And that work's going to start after the inauguration of 2020. I told you that this is where we're going. There's no more worrying. Oh, the media is going to trash you because this, this, this. Well, nobody gives two diddly squats about the mainstream media anymore. It's about who can deliver results, who's been consistent, who is looking after the people and who has been doing that forever in a day. It could be anybody. It could be you. It could be me. It could be so many people. Nobody cares what the media says anymore. They have no power. And that is why yesterday we did that whole Amazon Prime thing. It was all the, you have no power over me. No one has power over you. And standards in regards to our politician and the politicians that represent us are not hey, you know, you're working at Arby's or you're working at McDonald's or you're working at a cubicle in a desk in a PR firm or you're working construction, you're working mining, you're working on the trains. Nobody cares. I don't care what you do. I don't care if you're in debt. I don't care. I care about what and how committed you are to ensuring, to ensuring that what? That you are going to be my voice. That is all I care about when I drop my vote for you. Your financial status, your marital status, you could have 20 wives, 20 divorces per se, right? 150 children with different baby mamas. Nobody cares. 
what we do care about is, I mean, there's a lot of people that still keep that, but when it comes down to someone being your voice, you need someone that can't be railroaded, not someone that can be put in a box. Someone that says, yo, I got debt, but I'm not going to do this because people relied on me. You know what that is? That's called an actual public servant. And we're going to be doing that. Said that. Here we are where we're going to see it. Now, just a little tip, uh, just a little precursor to the precursor. There's going to be a really wicked, because we're kind of just um, fine-tuning um, everything for Shadowgate 2, and um, we're trying to get in uh, the trailer for Shadowgate 3, too, done. There will be another tidbit, kind of a, a little mishmash of Shadowgate 2 coming out today. So, yeah, there's also the Sunrise Movement that M Millie's producer slash husband is working on. So we have a lot of projects going. So that should be coming out soon. Today, you will have a very good tidbit in there. Um, wait till you see Shadowgate 2. But you know what? Like I said, it's going to be like Nightmare on Elm Street 3, right? Where it's like, what? Right? The, 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 the successful trilogies right? There's failure trilogies and successful ones, right? So this is going to be like, no way. Um, so I'm excited for you guys um, on that. So today that will be dropping later on today. I just wanted to tell you that. So as Matt put it as well, we don't need people that are squeaky clean. We don't need people uh, that are, uh, you know, terrified of the media. What we need is people that are willing to do the job. So um, here we are moving it along to how the judges are deciding on bands of apps that are spying on children and people. Listen to this short clip. This is, this is pretty interesting. Very interesting. Brief update. Oh, on here we go. I can still download. Lucky TikTok you. Now. That's right, Stu. You can still download TikTok if you decide to. Late decision last night, which means that young users and you know more mature <laughs> users of TikTok can continue downloading updates, and new users can still get it. So what this does is it really gives Oracle and TikTok more time to negotiate a deal. It helps Apple and Google as well, since TikTok stays on the app stores. There's no complications there, but it's just temporary victory. So a lot of unknowns. For instance, well, Beijing agreed to this deal will treasury secretary mnuchin and syphias how is this uh uh a uh, win what listen to her listen to her what she said it's a win Agree to this deal will treasury secretary mnuchin wait, and syphias right, right, right there but it's just a temporary victory so a lot of temporary victory to maintain the tiktok app that has been funneling information out to china are you kidding who is she again unknowns for instance well beijing agreed to this deal will treasury secretary mnuchin and syphias okay the deal with unknowns over majority ownership i know you're so excited over tiktok well, come on don't don't hide it the gist of the story is tiktok remains operational that's right you can still get into it right now you still use it right now go for your life and and we'll that's see really how the election turns out that you know and how u.s china relations happen and take place <laughs> over the, yeah, the new year oh yes and there's that too yeah, <laughs> right. that. uh hmm that's interesting isn't it Hmm. I just thought I'd uh, play that so you can hear it. Huh. Very interesting. Now, I want us to turn to the uh, campaign uh, that responded to the bombshell New York uh, tax reports. Um, speaking of campaign, I am devastated to hear that um, 
Brad Parscale, they say, had barricaded his, himself in his room uh, with a gun, uh, threatening to take his life. Uh, this is terrifying for me only because, I mean, as I've said before, uh, gang stalking and methods of blackmail used are only to drive you to that point. See, they don't like taking you out. They want you to take yourself out. And that's the purpose of these organized groups, uh, you know, that, that, that do that. And they do it with complete misinformation. Um, and, you know, they pander on the stupidity of their following, their readers, their listeners, their watchers, uh, you know, to push things out. I think I demonstrated that with that, um, that loser. I don't even want to name his name because he doesn't deserve any recognition. The guy that I've been telling you for a very long time that is responsible for what happened to Isaac Cappy. Um, you know, he was showing people my criminal filing. <laughs> And saying, look, they're asking her for this. Yeah. But he made me look like an awesome person because he showed that from 2015, I had been fighting for the people. That's not something that I advertise because I've been fighting for the people longer than that. And I think Shadowgate 3 will show you that. And we're not talking just any people. So, you know, though that you doing a good deed, it's like so it's it's so it's it's put it this way. If I'm, you know, in line at a supermarket and the person in front of me, how many of us have been in that position, right? Doesn't have money to pay. And you're just like, you know what? I have an extra 20 bucks. Let me pay it for them, right? If you um, pay it for them and then you tell the world, it looks like you're waiting for the world to give you a pat on the back, right? As a person that all her life has been, you know, air quote, uh, saving the world and working with the United, you know, working with people in the United States to ensure uh, that we maintain our sovereignty and, you know, our borders and our safety. There are many things that I've done that I want to say, oh, you know what? I totally did that. Even though I want to be like, oh my God, look, isn't this cool? Like there's so many things like that. So many stories I can tell where we've been part of a team and like literally almost saved the world, but you can't, right? Say it. And because I've been conditioned to not be able to talk about it, right? I usually don't tell people the things I do um, to help others. And, you know, this guy wanted to use that information to shame me when he didn't even realize what he was reading. And that's what they do. This is why the major mainstream media didn't pick up on it. And it was only these grifters that are paid gang stalkers because, you know, they say whatever they want to do. Now, Brad Parscale was also targeted by professional gang stalkers, all working within the same circles, obviously different names, kind of like the, the think of it this way, how many stupid little groups exist there? And they're not stupid. They're actually quite dangerous uh, to bring out riots in our nation. Uh, you know, namely there's Antifa, Sunrise Movement, New Deal, Green Deal, um, uh, Global Governance, um, uh, The New Way. There's so many names, right? Well, there's a lot of those kind of gang stalking groups too, and they overlap. So, uh, you know, this could be that um, Brad Pascal was actually targeted by them too. And that's what's scary. That is what is the most scary thing um, to, to see. 
uh, that, that they are successful sometimes to put it out. Now, what was disgusting was, and I collected a lot of these tweets, a lot of these blue check marks and right side people were using it as an excuse to say, well, this is why we need, you know, to have red flag laws, to not have guns. And this is why I don't like Crenshaw because he's all about Dan Crenshaw may look like a patriot, jumps out of planes for his videos, served our nation, but he's looking to nix our Second Amendment right. He wants to control it. And no one should be able to control anything like that. So hence my 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 bone to pick with him. But an IIA to be successful. Oh, which, by the way, one of the grifters, that guy named Ali said that I made up the term IIA in one of his things where he was telling, oh, she just made that up. And it's like, damn, I should, I'm getting credit for that. That was actually coined by the government on documents. It's a go. But OK, OK. Um, so they, they rely on people that are half baked in knowledge, losers, prostitutes, male prostitutes, female prostitutes, because they're the ones that garner. You know, for for now, um, you, all we need to know about Brad Parscal is that he needs our prayers, um, and that is it. He needs our prayers right now, and we need to ensure that you know we're keeping him in our thoughts because you know gang stalking is not a joke. These people do it for a living. They get paid to do this. They want to drive people to suicide. So uh, because it's easier than murdering them because that, you know, gets a lot of people implicated. So um, on that uh, note, let's uh, move along because uh, I don't want to say much. It gets me very, very upset um, to think of uh, those things and what I have found out that they have done to Brad Pascal. Uh, so uh, it's 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 really hard, you guys. I, I mean, I, I, I've, I know how they work and it still bothers me. Imagine him who kind of knows, never really experienced it and then hits him in the face. OK, so um, keep in, keep him in our prayers. Now, let's talk about this tax report. See, everyone seems really jealous that our president has a badass accountant. I want his accountant. But on the other hand, you know, they want to talk about this rather than. The most important things, which are like, uh, I don't know, war. I don't know. Joe Biden refusing to take a drug test, even though the president said so. Pretty interesting. Taxes. They say the president paid only $750 in 2017 and paid no income taxes in 10 of the 15 years through 2015. Hogan Gidley's with us. Trump 2020 National Press Secretary. This is being called a political bombshell this morning. Your response to the Times article, Hogan. One of the most overused words this entire presidency is the word bombshell. Yep. Ridiculous. What right. year am I in, by the way? We have Nancy Pelosi talking about impeachment. We have Adam Schiff talking about Russia. And what do you know? The New York Times talking about taxes. This was litigated in 2016. The president put out more than 100 pages of documents regarding his taxes. This story is fake. The attorney at Trump Organization said so. And the president said so as well, pointing out he's paid 
tens of millions of dollars in taxes. The Trump Organization folks weren't allowed to look at these documents, verify these documents. They tried to explain this to the New York Times. It appears as though this is just another hit job in a long line of hit jobs from the New York Times and many others. And it's very curious that when this story dropped, did you notice Joe Biden already had lapel buttons ready to go for his supporters out there talking about the story. So the whole thing is a hoax. It's a scam. We're moving forward with the debate and prepared for okay. a win in November. I'm going to hold on for a second. Happening now, President Trump speaking on the South Lawn of the White House. He's looking at the 2021 GM Endurance truck. It's an electric truck made in Lordstown. I think we can listen in for a second. We usually go to the president when he's saying something. Regrettably, this time, he was simply looking at the electric truck from Lawstown, Ohio. So let's go back to Hogan Gidley, still with us this morning. Um, look, we've got the debate tomorrow night. No teleprompter, no spin room. Now, does that give an edge to either side, do you think? Well, I think the only edge uh, here uh, as it relates to the politics of this is for Joe Biden for a couple of reasons. One is he's been doing this now for 50 years, 38 debates over his career, 11 in this cycle alone, besting 20 plus candidates on the Democrat side to come out, emerge as the Democrat nominee and a media that regardless of what Joe Biden says, will absolutely declare him the winner. But as far as advantages go for the American people, it's this president's policies that have made their lives better. They've been advantaged, regardless of race, religion, color, or creed, by what Donald Trump has done to lower taxes, to get rid of regulations, to make employment numbers soar in this country, more jobs than there were people to fill them, manufacturing plants coming back to this country like we've never seen before. So the advantage relates to results. A four-year career of success goes with Donald Trump, and the 47-year career of failure lies solely with Joe Biden. Um, I, I think the president has to be a little careful. I mean, Joe Biden is, I, I don't know how to put this, he's elderly, he's almost 78 years old. If the president comes on too strong and really kind of beats him up linguistically, I mean, you could get the sympathy going for the elderly Joe Biden. I mean, I think the president has to be kind of careful here. Well, the American people want a leader who can lead, who can take on the tough challenges that we face across this across this country and across the world. You have to be strong in moments uh, of, of turmoil, whether it's Kim Jong-un, whether it's coming up with a trade deal uh, for, for the United States with Japan after China ducks their, their obligations and then go back to China and make the trade deal for the American people that actually work, renegotiating NAFTA. That takes toughness. But the president understands that the forgotten men and women of this country have been left behind for decades. Joe Biden doesn't get that. So regardless of how strong Joe Biden comes out, regardless of how weak he comes out, the American people have suffered with Joe Biden's policies. But as I said before, the media is going to cover for him regardless of the performance. And as you just said, the sympathy out there, whether that exists or not, whatever lane the media can take Joe Biden into to make it appear as though he won. That's where they'll take it because they have a vested interest in seeing the man, Joe Biden, be president, who's embraced all of their radical policies that would remake this country in the image of socialism. I believe you're in Cleveland right now, actually, getting prepared for this uh, for this debate. Um, are, you, are you aware that in downtown Cleveland, they've already started to board up buildings? I mean, that's a bad omen if ever I saw one. It's a really sad thing. And, you know, it's funny about the, the funny thing about peaceful protests. They end peacefully. We just saw a march 
called The Return on the Mall this weekend. No one boarded up any buildings. We saw the March for Life. We see it every single year. No one boards up any buildings. These Joe Biden supporters have taken over so many cities, caused so much death, destruction, chaos in our streets. They need to be held account for it. And hopefully tomorrow night on that debate stage, Joe Biden gets pressed about why his supporters are out there because he won't call out Antifa by name. He won't call out BLM by name. He won't call out the abolish or defund the police movement by name either because he knows they're all of his supporters. Got it. Hogan Gidley, I know you're in Cleveland and I'm sure you're going to be there for at least the next 36 hours. We'll talk to you again tomorrow, probably. Thanks for joining us, Hogan. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. So I'll, I'll tell you guys. The New York Times has published a I'll, report on. I'll tell you guys. Um, what is happening down downtown since I'm super downtown. Um, and I'll send you pictures. Uh, now, I wanted to tell you something about the tax returns and about money in general. So it was one day I'll be able to talk about my trip to Panama and Costa Rica and other places. I will be able to tell you about that one day. But what I can tell you is, is that I used to have a very good relationship with the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists. It was supposed to be something like a WikiLeaks, but for journalists. And it seems that that one is corrupt, too. You can't trust them. And I'll tell you why. So Manafort. Let me tell you something about SARS first. So SARS are suspicious activity reports that banks file. So if you get like a, uh, a wire transfer to your bank account or if you wire money out of your bank account and it looks suspicious, uh, the banks file that. They don't do anything. They just file it just to cover their butts. Oh, yeah, we totally mentioned it uh, because then they can get in trouble. They can lose their ability to exist. So they file it on everybody. Right. But those maintain in a, they're in a database where no one's going to act on it if unless they have to because they could flag something stupid like for example if i if i send my mother um money and she's in another country you know for her doctor's bills that could get flagged hey tori just sent you know $1200 you know to another country let's go check it out you know this is just an example and so you know those are always filed right? Always. But no one looks at them unless there's a reason for an investigation. Or if it's something that's like, hey, I'm sending $1,000 to El Chapo and he's on a database and they're already investigating him, then they're going to look at everything I do, right? So what happened? Let me, let me explain to you what happened in 2017. So um, there was a treasury official because Sh Shadowgate 3 is going to tell you stuff about the treasury that you didn't know. See, everyone's all pissed about President Trump's tax returns. Wait till they found out. Wait till they find out how much money we paid terrorists. Wait till they find out how it happened. Wait till the people find out from the person that actually facilitated the logistics of making sure that payments were made with assets. Yeah. And this is, I'm going to say this and we're going to revisit it in October when Shadowgate three is out. General Flynn knew what was going on in the Middle East. He knew how ISIS was still a problem, even though Barack was saying, Oh no, no. Cause we were funding them and they knew he knew, but they needed to find out how he knew. And what if I told you that the person 
who was responsible to find out how he knew lied to Barack Hussein Obama and Brennan purposely, I guess, misleaded, misinformed them to leave General Flynn alone. And then he was retired. And that could be the same person that made sure those assets were paid. The assets of the military industrial complex that were paid to train ISIS. Hmm? Now, I've said this many, many times. Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Mellon, J.P. Morgan, tons. Now, if we rewind to 2017, this chick, Natalie Mayflower Edwards, U.S. Treasury, you know, uh, official, she leaked SARS documents of Paul Manafort. Very interesting because there's tons of SARS documents about Kerry, Barack Hussein Obama, Michelle Obama, all filed under alternate names of companies, but uh, tons of them. She also leaked stuff about Rick Gates and Maria Butina and the Russian embassy in Moscow. Um, it's uh, <sighs> now she's in jail, right? Uh, and um, she was a part of the Treasury's Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. And uh, she selectively picked things to leak. And so what bothered me the most is to see that BuzzFeed, once again, was the center of all this. And you know what sucks is that they have more files and the ICIJ, which is the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists, have all these files on other people uh, from other nations as well. But they didn't publish certain ones. Uh, and the fact that Buzz BuzzFeed is front and center makes me see that they are compromised too. Uh, the ICIJ. Um, after the um, Panama leaks, they've gone downhill. So it's interesting how this uh, Mayflower chick didn't pull information that really does matter to the people. Really does matter to the people like, I don't know, how much money we paid ISIS, how much money specific uh, private contracting companies um, got, how the Joint Chiefs of Staff of the Obama administration had private companies that were making bank while they were Joint Chief of Staff, but they were a couple times removed, so it doesn't matter, right? How USAID was paying cash for a lot of these things. See, those weren't leaked, but Manafort's were, right? You know why? Because they knew exactly where to look, because Manafort danced with a lot of these military-industrial complex units decades ago, like many had. They were just contractors. Now, again, it breaks my heart the more I see it. That something that uh, I was excited about in the early 2000s of being created and after, you know, visiting the Caribbean and, and, and uh, Central America and seeing the work that the ICIJ did to see them corrupted to see them do this devastates me. Devastates me. It really does. Makes me very upset, too. Makes me very upset. Now, 
you know, it's all about getting rid of President Trump, of course. And that's the main point. They do not want President Trump because they're all losing money. Who's losing money? The military industrial complex. Now, before we shift gears into our global news, um, I wanted to uh, play a quick clip um, from Fox about uh, the left's attack on Judge Amy. They're coming up with new things that they want to talk about, and they're uh, trying to attack her for her personal life, her religious beliefs. I mean, they're going after Christianity. That's, that's a really big deal, a really big deal. Take a listen. There's absolutely zero reason to believe that uh, Judge Barrett is somebody who uh, has does not have uh, views about the importance of health care. As, as I said, she's a, a working mother to uh, school-aged children. She uh, is the mother to a, a child with disability. She's a uh, beloved teacher, uh, a very respected scholar. I think she's shown herself to be a uh, thoughtful jurist. And she's just a, a wonderful, uh, warm, admirable uh, human being. And America's about to get to know her a lot better over the coming month. That's Justice Scalia's son, Eugene Scalia, on Fox News Sunday over the weekend talking about Amy Coney Barrett. Barrett's personal life is under scrutiny from the left in a significant way. I want to bring in Ken Starr, former independent counsel and a Fox News contributor, can join me for this discussion. And uh, I'll, I'll pose the question this way. After Burke and Thomas and Kavanaugh, <laughs> what's relevant in these hearings when it comes to your personal life? Zero. Uh, the Constitution itself, Bill, puts up a huge stop sign. It says, stop, don't go there. Article 6 of the Constitution, right after explaining that the Supreme Court uh, must follow the Constitution, <clears throat> that the Constitution is the supreme law of the land, it then goes on to say, and it uses pretty clear language, no religious test shall ever be required. Now, if you put those <laughs> words together, no and ever, you come up with never. So the Constitution itself answers the question. So one or two senators who have suggested this is fair game, wrong. It's not only anti-constitutional, it's unconstitutional. Moreover, final point, the Supreme Court of the United States has made it clear that that rule also applies to states. It applies everywhere, to your local community. You cannot be inquiring into religious faith and practice, period, full stop. Okay. So to address this, Josh Hawley responded to some of the tweets that came out uh, from the left, and here's what he said in one of them. He said, read this from Democratic activist and Hill staffer questioning whether Amy Coney Barrett illegally adopted her children from Haiti maybe snatching them from birth parents. This is the democratic game plan. Nothing but raw bigotry and hate. <laughs> I promise you this will not stand. Well, how do you, how do you consider that in the, the setting of a hearing um, if it comes up? Well, almost <clears throat> a senator has been elected to exercise his or her judgment. You can ask anything. What do you like for breakfast? But there are questions that really are, I believe, out of bounds. And if there is a serious issue about illegal conduct, I think it's inbounds. But I cannot imagine that two very distinguished lawyers, Amy Coney Barrett 
and her husband, Jesse, both are very uh, distinguished lawyers, would engage in illegal conduct. I think this is all rumor. It's from everything I know, it's utterly scurrilous because she's a person, and so is Jesse Barrett, of complete integrity. Shame on these, I'm just going to call them that, the secular humanists who seem to enjoy assaulting faith and family. So shame on them. At least be, can't you be kind? How about a little kindness, as, as Glenn Campbell, the old songster, would put it. Let's calm it down and be yeah. decent to one another and treat her with dignity. Now, all those kids, seven of them are Reiners, too. What do you think of the schedule that's yes. before us? October, October 12th hearings, uh, maybe a vote by October 30th. Is that doable now in this cycle? Absolutely. <clears throat> it's up to the chair. Uh, it's up to Lindsey Graham. He gets to run the committee. Elections have consequences, and so here we are. Uh, some uh, nominations uh, in my lifetime have gone very, very uh, quickly. Uh, supposedly controversial nominations. Uh, John Paul Stevens to succeed William O. Douglas in the wake of Roe versus Wade. It can happen. It can happen very efficiently. It's up to the chairman, and I have great confidence in uh, Chairman Lindsey Graham to get the job done. Yeah, I don't. I don't trust Lindsey Graham. So I don't trust him at all. And this is where it comes down to it. Why are we waiting to the 12th? Let's get the ball rolling next Monday and let's call it to the floor. You guys already did your homework on her because she was one of the shortlist. So why are we waiting? Hmm? Why are we waiting? So on that note, let's take a quick intermission for some coffee and we'll be right back with our global news that are of importance today. Um, yeah, see you in a bit. Can you hear me? Can you hear me running? Can you hear me running? Can you hear me from you? Can you hear me? Can you hear me running? Can you hear me running? Can you hear me calling you? All right. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. So this is the second hour, and we're going to go full speed ahead into um, the news. So what is going on? We see that war has broken out, and it was imminent, and... I mean, we've been talking about it for three years. We saw it coming, right? So uh, let's just be honest, right? We already knew it was coming. But what I'm going to show you is just how fake news drive the narrative. So we've talked about mutual uh, defense agreements before, yes? And we've talked about how uh, those work. That means, hey, if you go to war, I go to war, right? Well, just on obviously global research, <laughs> Center for Research on Globalization put out this article in August, right? And this is just to light fires. So you understand what um, a CSTO is. It's, 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 call, it's called the Collective Security Treaty Organization. Uh, it's kind of um, what uh, post-Soviet states uh, that you know, like Russia, Armenia, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, Uzbekistan signed uh, a while back. But here is where they plant seeds 
And then obviously the mainstream media bounces off of it to create narratives. And we're going to break that down because this is where the rubbish gets, you know, kind of, uh, it gets pretty intense. So uh, before we go through this piece, I'm going to show you something from 2015. That's very interesting. Let me show you. So we have Russia and Armenia sign a defense agreement in 2015. And Russia and Armenia have agreed to a regional air defense system that will soon include Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan. Remember what I told you? How um, we're taking care of the Middle East. Russia's got the south of Turkey and the north of Turkey. But we need to get uh, the east side of Turkey um, collected. Right? And that's where the U.S. needs to start bridging and mending relationships. Because Russia's already five years ahead and then some, right? So in 2013, Russia signed a deal on joint regional air defense with Kazakhstan, okay? And Russian and Belarusian systems have already been unified. Now, this is from 2015, where it says um, that, you know, they they report that in Armenia, it hosts Russian military equipped with S-300s. Oh, wasn't the S-300s the ones that Greece has that's getting upgraded now by Russia? You see where I'm going with this? So um, this is all scattered information. So I'm going to kind of streamline it for you. Um, so this agreement would deter Azerbaijan from committing any aggression against Armenia. But... Here is where the global research people and the mainstream media are telling you something different, right? They're saying that Russia trusts more than Armenia. Wait a minute. Um, Russia remembers how Armenia arrested then head of the CSTO, Yuri Karakartut, in 2018 on charges stemming from the previous government's crackdown on color revolutionaries in 2008. What have we said about the color revolution? Yeah, we know what that is. So although Armenia claimed that the issue was purely a domestic law enforcement run, Russia didn't see it that way and couldn't help but suspect that might be connected to the secret foreign policy priorities of the velvet revolutionaries. These are terms you're going to understand later. These are all Soros-connected terms, okay, that seized power in the country just a few months prior. Already suspicious of Armenia as it is, Russia wasn't inclined to take its words at face value two years later when it claimed that Azerbaijan attacked it near Torvuz. There was no way Russia would reaffirm its mutual defense obligations to Armenia. Funny, because it was Russia that shot down those helicopters. I'm just saying. So here is where the Lukashenko's come in. Belarus comes in. They start talking about Belarus and Armenia. They start saying how Russia is going to be annexing Belarus as well. Uh, this is all about oil. This is all about Ukraine. This is all about power. So this is how they put these things together. Now, I want you to know that the president, the president of um, um, of the, um, oh, gosh, I'm trying to remember his name. Okay, I don't remember. So, Araik uh, Harutyanun, um, he's the president of Armenia. Uh, he said, 
I would like to say it is not only Azerbaijan that's fighting us, but also Turkey. The Turkish army is using modern military equipment, including drones. Remember those long range drones we talked about, right? That were Turkish and everyone was saying they were coming from Iran. Yeah, those. Um, and F-16 fighters located in the territory of Azerbaijan, according to... Um, the president, the authorities of Karabakh, uh, knew in advance about the escalation of conflict because they had intelligence data and also heard statements made by representatives of Azerbaijan and Turkey in recent day and months. So the leader of Armenia also confirmed the necessity to be ready to, um, how do you say, face both long-term and short-term war and stressed that um, fighting uh, tooth and nail in this war was imperative. Now, people in Armenia were lining up to be drafted. They were ready to go. Um, and this is a war on Christianity. You have to remember that. Uh, the genocide was nothing. Now Turkey has, uh, you know, support for the eastern side coming in to attack Armenia. Armenia is sitting on some black gold right there. So it's uh, it's quite telling. Now, in the meantime, we have the EU pledging that they're going to go against Turkey if they don't stop their dilly-dallying and rubbish in the eastern Mediterranean. Listen to this clown, the way he puts it. Listen to this. I, I was just like, are you serious, dude? Is that all you got? I would only refer to very well-known position of the European Union when it comes to the tensions in the eastern Mediterranean. Very briefly, the, the escalation is needed and the dialogue is uh, the path to follow in order to solve all the issues. Um, you know that Turkey and this whole issue of tensions in the Eastern agenda will be uh, will be on the table for the leaders later this week. So I wouldn't go beyond that and we will see what kind of uh, steps or a course of action the leaders of the EU will, uh, will decide to be followed in order to achieve the escalation and the dialogue in the region. Hopefully it will be possible. And uh, we've seen a lot of diplomatic activities over the last few days and uh, weeks also with the aim to de-escalate the situation and start the dialogue. So we hope that these activities will continue, that it will be possible to solve all the open issues in a dialogue, in a constructive engagement based on respect for international law and in line with the principle of good neighborly relations. Good neighborly much, relations. Good. Who? Turkey? So Turkey is now through their defense agreement. And I told you that they had a hold on Azerbaijan, right? Didn't I? I told you that over a year ago. They are now fighting for them against Armenia that's stuck in that region. And they have, they're taking their territory. This is all about Kurdistan. This is all about power. This is all about oil. And this is all about the illegal nuke trails the illegal energy trails and the fact that they're Christian and they just need to eliminate all of Armenia, whatever's left of them. Now that can't happen because Russia has a mutual defense agreement. Uh, and uh, that is not going to be happening. It's not happening and they won't let it happen. And so I want to show you how they're not letting it happen. This is 2016 where Russia was having conversations with, um, the president of Azerbaijan. Take a listen.
уважаемый Евгеньевич, проблема, ради которой мы собрались, известна. Хорошо, это доставшаяся нам из прежних времен еще Карабахская проблема. И об этом ну, и о всем, что составляет. Я очень рад вас видеть. Добро пожаловать. Ну, по всем направлениям. Я очень рад вас видеть. Добро пожаловать. Okay, so Putin's just talking about, and uh, my my Russian is not good, but what he's talking about is the discussion about that area, uh, which is coined the Nagorno-Karabakh area of Armenia, and um, that was in 2016. Uh, we've been talking about it for years. Uh, this is where it was going to escalate. This is 2016, where they're having these discussions. Wars don't just break out just like that. This is the redrawing of borders. Okay. This isn't, uh, yeah, we're just going to like fight a little bit and that's it. No, that's not how it goes. This is redrawing of borders. They are redrawing borders. So here is who else is involved, which is, uh, quite interesting. I think, um, this one is the Anglophone one. Hold on that. I can find it for you because guess what? I, I talked about this. Mm -hmm. Here we go. Viewers, in the ongoing border war between Armenia and Azerbaijan, which countries are supporting Armenia and which countries are supporting Azerbaijan? Keeping in view their official statements. Well, viewers, so far, Turkey has spoken very clearly in support of Azerbaijan. Turkey's statement has been very unequivocal. Turkey says it is with Azerbaijan. Secondly, Pakistan. Pakistan has condemned this aggression of Armenia against Azerbaijan. Pakistan is the only country which does not recognize Armenia as a country. Pakistan backs uh, the claim of uh, Azerbaijan regarding Nagorno-Karabakh. So these two countries have very openly spoken in support of Azerbaijan. Then we uh, Ukraine. Ukraine has also spoken. Uh, Ukraine uh, has said that there must be de-escalation. And it also says that there must be respect for the territorial sovereignty of Azerbaijan. Same is uh, the statement of uh, Iran. Iran is calling for de-escalation, but it is also saying that there must be respect for the territorial integrity of Azerbaijan. So Ukraine and Iran, I think their statements, uh, they bag Azerbaijan a little as well, I think, because they are speaking about territorial integrity of Azerbaijan, not Armenia. So in a way, their statements are also supporting Azerbaijan, but not uh, the way Turkey and Pakistan are supporting Azerbaijan. Then we were uh, Armenia. Who is supporting Armenia? So far, I have seen a statement uh, from Guatemala. Vice President of Guatemala, he has tweeted in support of Armenia. I have heard about Cyprus views that Cyprus is condemning Turkey's statement regarding uh, backing Azerbaijan, though I haven't seen the statement so far. 
then the main backer of uh, armenia russia viewers russia hasn't spoken in support of armenia so far it is just saying that there must be escalation and both the sides should show restraint and that it is ready for mediation iran is also saying that it is ready for mediation so viewers yes azerbaijan has more supporters so far than armenia of course they do because everybody has their oil going through there and the one thing they don't want is a war sparking cuz that is going to kill the oil pipelines right because turkey gets them in from there and they all meet in turkey so here's something that a lot of people don't know about here's rumors this is rumors are you listening rumors this is 2008 russian mercenaries fighting for azerbaijan against Armenia which would never ever 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 happen because they have a mutual defense agreement doesn't that remind you of Russia paying people to fight Americans again listen to this Эти людей, армян из многочисленных зарубежных диаспор, вопрос о правильности выбора не стоял. Они были готовы сражаться за великую Армению, которую и в глаза не видели, а лишь слышали они от своих некогда иммигрировавших дедов. Потому-то и отправлялись воевать в Нагорный Карабах. Вот с таким энтузиазмом приезжали эти люди. Патриотизм Now, I just want to tell you, I just wanted to play that a little bit. So this is talking about how there's Russian mercenaries fighting for it. And here it says in late 1993 there were reports that Azerbaijan with the help of Russian military commissar was recruiting mercenaries from the central Russian provinces of Ivanovo and Vladimir. The Bost the Boston Globe reported. Let me tell you something. This was paid for by guess who? Yeah, you guessed it. USAID. This is why USAID was kicked out of Russia. So I just want you guys to understand just how long this has been going on because I don't think people understand how long wars like this happen for. It is very long, it is very tedious. And now here's the Sun reporting about 39 people getting killed uh during this uh blast off between each other. Here we go. Watch this. This is interesting. crazy right i uh, for those of you watching the footage it looks really crazy i'm just going to run through it here hold on look at that it's crazy 39 people so far dead now here's what the qatari news had to say the ones that don't want the ones that don't want the christian nation of armenia to exist anymore listen to what they had to say their analysis of it it was pretty it was quite telling what al jazeera had to say 
Armenia's defence ministry tweeted these videos on Sunday morning. It says they show Azeri tanks that have just been destroyed in the disputed region of Nagorno-Karabakh. Within a few hours, the Armenians said 15 drones, 10 tanks and four helicopters had been destroyed. Early in the morning, around 7 a.m., the Azerbaijani forces launched a large-scale aggression, including missile attacks uh, along the line of contact with Artsakh, Nagorno-Karabakh. Uh, they are targeting civilian population and civilian infrastructure. Government leaders in Azerbaijan condemned what they called propaganda and said a counter-offensive operation had been launched after Azeri forces were attacked. Nagorno-Karabakh is an internationally recognized part of Azerbaijan, but is controlled by Armenian forces. The region has declared itself independent and relies on Armenia for support. In an emergency parliamentary session, the president of Nagorno-Karabakh declared martial law, as well as military mobilization for men over 18. Most of all, the people of Nagorno-Karabakh want peace. We've already said that the responsibility for any resumption of the war will rest with the government of Azerbaijan today, tomorrow and in the future. Russia's foreign ministry said the situation has sharply deteriorated and it had reports of intense shelling from both sides. The Kremlin, along with the EU and France, are calling for an immediate ceasefire. The frequency of escalations, even if they are controlled, are suggesting that we are really entering a very dangerous um, zone where it can definitely get out of control, especially when new players, regional players, are being dragged into this. The dispute emerged out of the 1991 collapse of the Soviet Union when Armenian separatists seized the territory. 30,000 died in fighting. <laughs> In 1994, a ceasefire was agreed, but talks to resolve the dispute stalled. Nearly two decades later, tensions rose again in July, with the worst fighting since 2016. In the last year or so, the Armenian leader, Nikol Pashinyan, has been saying he no longer wants to negotiate uh, according to the formula that people like me had been trying to bring together between Azerbaijan and Armenia, and he said, Nagorno-Karabakh is always going to be part of Armenia. Uh, that has really ticked off very uh, severe negative emotions in Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan has repeatedly vowed to recapture Nagorno-Karabakh by force, and Armenia has vowed to defend the territory. While it is disputed which side moved first on Sunday morning, it's clear both remain determined to claim Nagorno-Karabakh as their own. Charlotte Ballas, Al Jazeera. Well, we've spoken to officials from both Armenia and Azerbaijan. Hichmet Hashiev is an assistant to the president of Azerbaijan and the head of foreign policy department of the presidential administration. He says Azerbaijan's aim is to recapture the areas occupied by Armenia. 30 years we are suffering from the Armenian's military occupation and aggression, and our civilians are becoming target of Armenian armed forces, and we have one million ethnically cleansed Azerbaijanis from the occupied territories of Azerbaijan. And therefore, Azerbaijan armed forces are taking counter-actions and counter-attacks to uh, first repel Armenia's provocations and further acts of aggression against Azerbaijan and enforce Armenia to peace. Because a peaceful negotiation process is also failing because of the deliberate and uh, the, the destructive uh, attitude of Armenia. Currently, we don't have a real negotiation but uh, mediated by the OSM's group of chairs. And therefore, here, first, 
is an ensure security and safety of Azerbaijani civilians who are living in close uh, in proximity to the line of contact area in the meantime to ensure liberation of Azerbaijan's occupied lands from Armenia's occupation that lasts more than 30, 30 years. So therefore, UN Security Council resolutions demand immediate, unconditional and full withdrawal of Armenian troops from the occupied territories of Azerbaijan. So far, it's not also implemented by Armenia. And they continue to attack Azerbaijan civilians. And Azerbaijan refugees and IDPs, they have a right to return back to their sovereign lands. Because of Armenia's occupation, they can't return back. And the Armenian Foreign Minister Zurab Natsakanyan told Al Jazeera that his country will do whatever it takes to defend the region. Nagorno-Karabakh will be defending every single inch of their land and of their security, and Armenia will be the guarantor. These threats of force have been very usual in the parlance of the Azerbaijani government and the, and the regime in Baku. The latest was in, uh, in the United Nations General Assembly, and they have just brought this into a practical implementation once again. Once again, they will be repelled. This morning has been uh, a proof of the intentions of Azerbaijan to push for their maximalist positions in an aggressive manner, to put our people at risk. We have been consistently uh, insisting that at the heart of the Nagorno-Karabakh conflict is the security of our people. And they today have once again brought to proof that we have to care about the security of our compatriots, the people of Nagorno-Karabakh, who have been firm on the defense of their freedom, of their security against this aggression. And their aggression is uh, pre-planned, not just by Azerbaijan, but, the, but with the massive support of Turkey, which has its military presence and which has been showing uh, its uh, unilateral, aggressive, unilateral support, support and aggressive approach towards Armenia. This is very, very disturbing and it's a massive escalation, consequences for which Azerbaijan, uh, uh, for, for which Azerbaijan bears full responsibility. Well, our correspondent Robin Fristi Walker is monitoring developments from Tbilisi in neighboring Georgia. We're still hearing about ongoing uh, uh, fighting. The figures are, of course, fluid as well. Um, we know of at least 10 Armenian military personnel dead. Um, Azerbaijan also admitting casualties and also civilian dead on both sides. So it's looking like in just a single day of fighting so far, at least as many uh, people killed as, as we had seen over several days when uh, there was an outbreak of conflict in July. But this is fighting uh, of a different category. This is taking place across the whole, along the whole line of control. This is the area um, on the edge of Nagorno-Karabakh territory with, our, with, with Azerbaijan, um, controlled on the one side by Armenian forces who mostly control uh, the upper slopes, um, the higher positions, and Azeri forces positioned along that line of control. Um, and also, um, the Armenians are saying that uh, artillery fired by the Azeris has struck positions um, not just um, on that line of control, but also within the Karabakh region, in, including uh, Stepanakert, the capital, which makes this a very, uh, a whole different category of seriousness uh, in terms of this fighting. It is very serious, actually, very, very serious. Now, I want to um, reiterate one of the best quotes from St. John Chrysostom, which means St. John, the golden mouth, uh, literal translation is what the name Chrysostom means, which means golden mouth. He said, the same fire 
which purifies gold, consumes wood. So in fire of tribulation, the just acquire new beauty and perfection, while the wicked, like dry wood, are reduced to ashes. I want you to think about that for a second. As uh, we enter the final stretch of um, this election, we're all, the whole world is on fire. I've been saying that for years. But what is coming out? Is it going to be beautiful gold? That The only thing that's going to last is that that is just, that can withstand. This is why I called this the golden age. The golden age. Because only gold through fire becomes beautiful and shines so bright. Yet wood reduces to ashes. So I want you to think of that as uh, we head closer to these elections. It is quite, I, I want to say it's disheartening, but more so telling for us. Take a listen to this report on what's going on. Remember, there's rumors of war and actual war. I've told you where the real war is, and that's Turkey and Russia. Everything else is a byproduct. And it makes sense that Armenia is caught in the middle. Whatever was left, only a little portion of Armenia was left after the Ottoman Empire scattered throughout and everybody wants borders. I've told you we're redrawing borders and everyone's getting upset. This is quite telling. The new violence says Armenia and Azerbaijan confront each other over the disputed Nagorno-Karabakh region. Both sides are using heavy artillery and have reported casualties. Each accuses the other of starting the fight. The area is internationally recognized as part of Azerbaijan, but has been controlled by ethnic Armenians since a war in the early 1990s that killed tens of thousands of people. The international community, including Germany and the United States, have called for an immediate ceasefire. Conflict is always smoldering in the region of Nagorno-Karabakh, but after Sunday's attack on the capital, Stepanakert, it might be on the verge of erupting again. Some even fear a full-blown military conflict. The fighting is rooted in a decades-long territorial dispute. Though internationally recognized as part of Azerbaijan, Armenian separatists control the region in the South Caucasus. Both sides accuse each other of starting these latest clashes. The Armenian people have been prepared for the possibility of a war because we realize that the Armenophobia and hatred with which Azerbaijani dictatorship has fed its people for many decades could not lead to any result other than war. It is no secret that the initial fire, including artillery fire, was launched by Armenia, and the first to die were Azerbaijani servicemen. Azerbaijan gave a decent response to the enemy, and the enemy could not move an inch. Most of the footage that comes out of the region is provided by either the Armenian or the Azerbaijani Ministry of Defense. The latest fighting is the largest outbreak of the dispute since 2016. 
The conflict dates back to the dissolution of the Soviet Union. Since then, both countries have claimed the Nagorno-Karabakh region as their own territory, a conflict that remains unresolved. On Sunday, both sides declared martial law with immediate effect. Meanwhile, leaders from around the world are calling for de-escalation. Let's bring in VW's Yuri Rashetto here from Moscow. Yuri, this is a long-running conflict between Armenia and Azerbaijan. What sparked the fighting this time? Well, there are several possible scenarios, Terry, but of course none of them can be uh, confirmed 100%. Uh, the first important point is aggravation between Armenia, the Armenian community, and Azerbaijan. This summer there was serious, uh, or there were serious heavy battles on the Armenian-Azerbaijani border already above Nagorno-Karabakh. Now we are seeing armored vehicles, aviation, heavy artillery are uh, actively used, expensive drones are lifted into the air. It led some experts to conclude that this escalation isn't, isn't a spontaneous activity, but rather a planned military operation on both sides. You know, Yuri, over the years we've seen a number of international organizations, including the UN, get involved trying to mediate in this conflict. What is it about the conflict over Nagorno-Karabakh that makes it so difficult to resolve? Well, this uh, problem is uh, the problem is that borders within the Soviet Union, both states were uh, parts of the Soviet Union, were drawn completely arbitrarily. Uh, the whole area was a state for 70 years and the borders didn't matter. Uh, there are dozens of territories in the Caucasus that have been merged or separated randomly. Uh, considering Nagorno-Karabakh, uh, the Soviet leader Stalin annexed this traditionally by Armenians inhabited piece of land to Azerbaijan. And after the Soviet Union collapsed, both states, Armenia and Azerbaijan, became independent. And since then, they have been involved in a dispute about this enclave. So Nagorno-Karabakh is a so-called disputed territory, which is internationally recognized as part of Azerbaijan, but mostly governed by Armenian people. And Azerbaijan, has made repeated threats to take back the region by force. Hmm. Armenia has the backing of Russia. Azerbaijan has strong ties to Turkey. What role are those major powers playing in this confrontation? Well, Russia plays an important role here. It delivers weapons to Armenia. It has displayed its armed forces to protect Armenia. But it has also good relations with Azerbaijan as a gas, oil, uh, gas and oil producer. There is certain economic dependence on Russia. Uh, Russia's attempt to bring the parties to the negotiation table, if supported by other international players, players could at least be a chance to bring the situation back to a ceasefire. Both sides, Armenia and Azerbaijan, have already announced plans for mobilization for partial. So far, these are only announcements, a message to the enemy about their readiness for a full-scale war. But experts say if the conflict isn't quickly ended by international pressure from outside, this recent escalation can become a disaster that should shake uh, the entire Caucasus region and affect all major players, including, including Russia and Turkey. Yuri, thank you very much for that. That was DW's Yuri Rochetto yeah. in Moscow. Okay, so as we see, they're telling us, they are telling us that Turkey, which is a NATO partner, is throwing its weight on the eastern side of Turkey because that's the only side that they have cover from. Remember, we've, we've, we understand why they're moving that way, right? It's because it's the only side they have cover from. The north, Turkey's there. Uh, I, I mean, Russia's there. The West, Greece, the U.S., Russia, France, France, obviously, annexation wants pieces in.
I mean, that crown is so, uh, I don't even want to get into it. And then south, we have Russia again through Syria. So the only places that they have cover from is Iran, Iran, not the Arab states, Iran, I guess Qatar too, right? <laughs> Qatar and Turkey and Iran, there's a block for you. But now they're putting it on their eastern side because remember, these nations funnel their gas and oil into Turkey through the pipelines. They have pipelines. But let's remember that Russia is to the north of these nations too. Now, further east, we have Pakistan. And further east than that, we have China. So this, those are the major players. The rumors of war are the little ones, the, the excuses that are being used, Syria. Like Turkey is actually using Syrian fighters to help with the war between Armenia and Azerbaijan. That's a very big deal. Very big deal. And I don't see how, you know, this isn't being reported. The government of Armenia declared a state of martial law. Okay, this is huge that they did this yesterday. Huge. And there are volunteers everywhere going to the capital saying, I volunteer to fight because they want their nation. Their nation has been reduced to nothing. They were eradicated. It is horrible. Now, Armenia took down two helicopters, three, do three drones, a few tanks, and, um, you know, a couple of uh, positions that they had. But one has to think, we have a NATO member attacking Armenia and the president, I am waiting to see how he's going to come for it. Because I can almost guarantee you that this was sparked by color revolutions and the MIC that is really pissed that the contracts they had in Afghanistan have been pulled along with those in Iraq. So this is all about money and control. But I don't think Russia is going to sit by and let it happen. I mean, they play the game. They're pretty good chess players, aren't they? Right. They're playing the game, but this is where people are really going to get burnt. This isn't something that we should be toying with on the, on, the, on the side of, oh, let's see how it works. Let's see how this goes. The rumors of war are the pockets. The actual wars are the big players that we talked about and how the blocks are being formed. These are, you know, one of the best strategies that Alexander the Great had was his phalanx. But it also had a great vulnerability, which was the mouth of the phalanx, which is the head of it. So I want you to think of it as a box, but the side facing forward is empty for invasion. So if you can picture the borders, the, the area of the eastern Mediterranean where Turkey is like, close your eyes and picture that. As a square, the mouth is open toward the east. So it's Turkey's flank, north, west, and south. But their eastern portion is open and a little bit southeastern, right? If we count, you know, Iran, right, of course. So that is where the strategy game plays. Will it be something that they will allow vulnerabilities or will they come in to push the phalanx open the northwest and south, you know, with a charge in? And that all counts on Russia, China, and India 
at the east that are bordering the actual weaponization of those nations of the east that Turkey has alliances with. So I want you to picture it like that, okay? That's what we need to picture when we think about it. Because uh, it, 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 it was inevitable. After the, the, the museum was changed into a mox, after, you know, Turkey's been aggressively coming into the Mediterranean, said the minute they would enter the northern region, which they did, things are about to escalate. And here it is. The minute they tried to get in there, you know, Russia cut off the Bosphorus, said, nope, no more. And let's remember that soon, very soon, Iran will be allowed to have weapons. This can get dirty very, very fast. Very fast. So strategy is the east now. So what we have to look is east of Turkey, see the alliances that are being built and how this will turn out. So these are terrifying times, guys. Uh, a lot of people will have, you know, blood spilled. But again, remember the statement of St. John Hersasam, and I did post it on my subscribe star. I'll put it in the Patreon, and I put it on, on Twitter too. The same fire that purifies gold consumes wood. Thus, in the fire of tribulation, the just acquire new beauty and perfection, while the wicked, like dry wood, are reduced to ashes. You can be strong and powerful, but if you're righteous or just, that what defines if you are reduced to ashes or come out shiny and crispy on the other end. That's how it goes. So when we think of these wars, this is, this is an election year. We need a war. I mean, they've done everything. War is the only thing they don't have yet. So we need the war. So that way we can get the people on the side we want them to. That's, that's what they're doing. This is why we have this going on. While the president is trying to stop wars, the left is trying to create them. Not only that, as we see that they have lost their influencer power, can I say, with this whole infodemic, right? We see that they're threatening more lockdowns. They're threatening to start circulating the whole COVID issue. Once again, New York threatened for another lockdown, right? We're tired of it. We're tired of it. And there's a lot of people out there that are pissed. President Trump should have put his foot down and said, this is a hoax. He should have, would have. And then, you know, people are going to say, it doesn't matter. We didn't vote for him to play the game. We voted for him to be honest. No, man, he would have been out faster than you could blink. More than half of you would have been like, how dare he call all these dead people a hoax? How dare he? Look at all these dying people in China. Look at all these TikTok videos of people crawling out of buildings and live people being burnt alive. Look at all these people sick. Look at all of them dying. More than half of you listening right now, I'll say 80% of you would have flipped on the president and said the guy's insane. There's people dying. Oh my gosh, everyone's dying. But now over 80% of you are like, damn, they killed those people so they could lock us up. Damn, it was an infodemic. Damn, he was right. He mentioned it and then backtracked real quick. How are you going to go up against the global mainstream media? You can't. 
You can't. There is no, I don't care. Well, I voted for him to tell me the truth. How is he going to tell you the truth, man? You're still mesmerized. <laughs> People that have been following me for years were mesmerized with bullshit that have been listening to me for three years every Monday through Friday. So you think the president go back and then the whole world coming at him that you guys wouldn't have been boom against him? Yes, you would. Yes, you would. You would have flipped on the president in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. You've been like, damn, dude, my friend died. Yeah, they killed your friend. Uh, they would never do that. They're lying about the numbers. The CDC is lying. Ugh, whatever. That's what would have happened. The president was right all along, all along. And I don't care how many of you out there say, well, no, I would have trusted. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't know that TikTok was pushing IIAs. You wouldn't even know what an IIA is. Apparently, I made that term up. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't help myself with that one. Pictures, videos. Oh, they're all real. Are they? Are you really looking at Joe Biden, though? Are those videos, how do you know when they're from? I had reported, obviously, I was a nobody then, you know, how they were using the Kentucky gun show, uh, you know, explosives and saying that there was war. Remember that? It was all fake. So fake. So fake. And they'll fake it again. They'll kill you. Look, this is why those five states are under investigation now. They actually killed people. Yesterday, I went to the supermarket to go and get some ham. <laughs> and I wasn't wearing my mask over my face. And the guy was like, I don't feel comfortable serving. He was on the other side of the deli counter. Okay. We're talking seven feet distance. I don't feel comfortable um, serving you without your mask on. I was like, excuse me? Like, aren't we social distancing? Like what the, right? It was the most insane thing because that's a voter right there. That soy male is a voter and he believes that COVID is really deadly, really deadly. There are millions of Americans like that. Millions of Americans, millions that believe that this is real. And here's the thing. So we tell you, hey, this was just another flu strain uh, to induce vaccines so that you can get more vaccines to genetically modify you. This was the purpose of it, but they utilized it. I've told you back in November of 2019, Bill Gates was at the governor association meeting, right? Guess who brought him? Doug Burgum. Speaking of him, listen to this clip of Doug Burgum. Looking for some clarity on the quarantine order uh, for close contacts. Is that a requirement to quarantine or is it just a recommendation? And if it is a requirement, is there any penalty for breaking the quarantine? The, the state health officer has the has authority and legal power, uh, and these are uh, they are enforced. So, just so you know, Doug Burgum has been through three health state officers. They've all resigned on him. Nobody wants to be his health officer. He's got FEMA. So now this this dude's up for election. And I was speaking to a friend of mine who I've been telling Doug Burgum is scum. He's evil. He is selling everybody's private identifying information, continuing the legacy of John Hoven. Mm, Jack. Oh, my gosh. Oh, gosh. And he was like, no way. Now, you know, in our conversation, 
one of my friends was like, you know what? You were right. He wasn't who we thought he was. And I was like, well, then people need to write in Michael Coachman for governor. He can't be governor. He will lock them up. He's saying that he will legally enforce people into FEMA camps to force them into isolation when this is all a hoax. Where are these people of North Dakota that want their rights? I'll tell you where they are. 700,000 of them. Over 500,000 of them are like that guy yesterday at the deli counter. I don't feel comfortable serving you, even though you're seven to eight feet away from me without a mask on, because I'm a die. They're voting for that idiot. I said that North Dakota was important because they are the ones that pilot all this crap. It's the only state that has so, such a small population in such a large geographical mass, and it is the most corrupt. Out of all their counties, only three don't have oil. And guess who owns the rights to your minerals? The state. It stole it from the people. This is, this is how they work. This is how they terrify people. Again, how was the president going to tell you this was an infodemic? How was he going to tell you that they're blowing it out of proportion? He couldn't. All of you right now listening. And there's what? Mm, let me do the math real quick. So there's 1,300 of you across all avenues. Only 200 of you would have stuck with the president in March if he would have stuck by the blowing it out of proportion. Because you, yeah, I got my ham. Because <laughs> you would have seen, right? All those deaths and the Chinese and the right media reporting on it, all those blue check marks telling you how they were burning people alive, and you would have flipped on the president immediately. You would have been all over the 25th Amendment. Let's go, let's go. And the reason you would have done it is because it would have been a global attack on the president. They would have killed more people. They would go to your neighbors and kill them. They would kill your mom, your dad, your grandma, your grandpa. They would have killed everyone and told you it was COVID. I told you that, hey, this is what was meant to happen and how it was meant to happen. I'll tell you the timeline that was really scary, that the president stood by his word and said, I'm not going to lie to the people. I'm not going to be along with this. I'm not going to let this happen. And what happened in that timeline is that suddenly people were collected into gulags. I was in that gulag. People were in that gulag. And when I saw the other people, I was like, yep, we're the ones that trusted the president. Guess what? Incineration and telling the world they were, they had that really deadly COVID. Sorry, you can't have the body. We had incinerated to make sure the virus is gone. You think, you think that's a joke? You think it's far-fetched? Look at how many people they killed unapologetically that were elderly in those five states, and then some. You think that's a joke? And now the Pentagon, White Hats, <laughs> because there are a few, and other groups that are trying to wake the people up into seeing the truth are all doing it from whatever angles they have. And again, I tell you, we talked about this infodemic in February and in March. It was the scariest part of it for me was during the State of the Union. The relief, the sigh of relief, and then I couldn't share with when he put the ban on flights from China was incredible because I was thinking, all right, he's going to walk it this way. The 
fake news have lost their footing. And it's up to us to make sure that we continue to do that without bashing the president for playing along. I want you guys so that you can understand how corruption works. And this is why I bring it as an example. That's why I've been, I, 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 I ensured that my family moved to North Dakota ever since my feet got on there in 2015, I have been trying to eradicate corruption on a local level, right? Because it was coming. Like I, even when that guy was trying to trash me, he was showing that I was sending communications asking why they were collecting private identifying information of their citizens. This is terrifying that the people are sitting there with their thumbs up their butt and they're all going to vote for Doug Burgum because he's on the Republican ticket when he's not even Republican. They should all write in. It is incredible. I'm telling you, it is incredible. I've, I have written so many pieces to expose it because sometimes when we have small examples, we understand the bigger, more complex. If we focus on DC, the generalization of it, and I think Rick Grinnell and the president and uh, Ratcliffe and Gates do a great job by demonstrating the DC clicks, you know, how they work in DC, right? But use, use, use that state as a, as a, as a, I would say template. You understand everything. It, you're confused about what's going on with Bannon? Look at my case. I mean, for me, there was no exchange of money, no loss of money, but it was the same MO. Same MO. This is how you take out political opponents. This is how you do. You create like these factions of slander groups because they need to maintain control everywhere. Not just, it's, it's not just me. There's a lot of people within that state that have been crushed, railroaded, and even killed because they dare to speak up. Human trafficking, Child trafficking, drug trafficking, monitoring. You do know that the first state in the nation to deploy police drones is North Dakota, right? You do know that the whole drones thing was pushed by the senator of North Dakota, Hoven, right? This is them pushing it out. Remember, it, the trace and track apps were pushed by what state? North Dakota. This is a little dinky state. And it's easy to control because they have less population to control. That's why they pilot all of these things from there. That is what I'm telling you. It's easier to, to pilot something with a small group of people rather than a larger state that has 11 million, 12 million people. You're going to stick to under 1 million. And the thing is, that's how you deploy these programs. You test it. Every program, don't they do beta testing on video games? You guys, that's the state. And you know how you know they picked that state from a long, long, long time ago from the flag. Look at North Dakota's flag. Only flag like that in the United States, aside from, well, take a look at it yourself. I don't need to spoon, spoon food, feed you. That's the beta testing ground for the deep state. This is why it's the most corrupt. And the people in there are either too mesmerized or just too, I don't know, miserable to see it. Are they just okay with it? They think if they put their head down, you know why they put their heads down? Because they know how they get railroaded. They call it the good old boys club. Man, it's not the good old boys. This is Soros money, okay? This is crown money. This is terrifying. People should be terrified in that state. I'm terrified for them. I am. I mean, I, I, I really am because they are the beta ground for all the corruption. And if the people don't wake up, it's just, what do you do? Mm -hmm. Out of many, one. You see that? That's the motto for the flag, the good old boys club. Do you know that in small towns, people shut up 
because, oh, that's a that's a longstanding farming family. Can't talk about them. If you say something wrong about the mayor, then the police will be all over you all the time. They'll be knocking at your door. People will spit in your food. You won't be able to go shopping because they do that because they're all bought and paid for. But if the people actually woke up and said, wait a minute, they're only a handful of people. Forget that. I'm taking back my state. I'm taking back my city. I'm taking back my county. Then it's all over. You know, I remember when I was uh, putting out for the drug, the organized police, attorney general, government run drug ring in 2015, when I was exposing that, filing to the DA, the Justice Department, everywhere, I remember one person that I had spoken to that I felt comfortable speaking to confidentially, right? Um, I said, yeah, you know, that sheriff's bad news. And they were like, dude, don't put up with the sheriff, man. They'll like plant stuff on you. They do that stuff. They will do things to you. And I was like, well, you know, I don't get out much and for anyone to say anything and I'll order my things and it's uh, pretty, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to be okay. They're right. Because they have done that before. And the sheriff did go to jail and that's because I was exposing it. And the attorney general had to flip on him only because there was too much exposure. This is why the U.S. Marshal, Deputy U.S. Marshal went to jail. Then the, then the U.S. Marshal resigned in the middle of the night on the 31st of December in 2016. Just totally resigned because everything was being exposed. It's not magical what they're doing to people. It's basic psychology and science. The more I infiltrate your brain with rubbish, the more I instill fear with you, the more obedient you are as a subject. If I starve you and then every now and then I throw crumbs at you, you will exalt me for throwing you crumbs. That's how it goes. And this is across the nation. We're just focusing on a smaller population that is more easily controlled. They are riddled. They're the highest one in human and child trafficking. Why? Because they have the reservations in the northern border. Everybody keeps talking about Mexico. Nobody is talking about Canada, where their indigenous are being stolen every day. The black projects that are being executed there, right? It's a black hole of money. Private. They don't want that. They don't want that. And that is the problem with that state. That the people are so embarrassed that they're so stupid that they'd prefer to go down burning ship and be slaves rather than stand up and say no more. You know, in these little cities where they have like a thousand or two thousand people, 500 of them can walk down to their little city hall and say, get out. No, you have to have a charter. I'm going to call the call the police. I'm going to arrest them too. citizens arrest. Get out. We run this city, not you. If all of them did that, it would be perfect. There was one mayor in one little town. I forget the name that went in there and was starting to expose the corruption, the debt and everything. Guys, they harassed his kids. They harassed his wife. He resigned. He left. He was like, and he moved out of the state. He was like, I'm done. I can't do this. They will come at you with everything. Guys, you have no idea how thick my skin is. They came at me. You think, you know, the, the, the two trolls was something? Like I said, I had a whole state do a colonoscopy on me. And though they can find whatever they want and they can put it in any light, as a person, as a me, I am myself squeaky clean. So I have nothing to fear. So I was put under the fire and I'm shiny, shiny, shiny. Now time for the people to get together. These elections are the most important. Those people that are in office serve you. If you don't like what they are doing, you need to rally up and remove them. You need to do what you can on your level. No one is saying to go out to extremes, but do as you can.
You know, General Flynn wrote, wrote a piece. If America fails, where will you go? And he said, and it felt like it was a summary of all my shows with one. This is why he's he's an impeccable leader. He so concisely said at the local level, we must encourage each other to take care of the little things. That's how we inspire and motivate. That's how we make a difference. His piece was extraordinary. It was concise. It was inspiring. And it was exactly what Americans need to hear today. He says, this is our land. These are our people. These are our cities, neighborhoods and streets. And this is our country, not theirs. It isn't theirs, you guys. It isn't theirs. So if America, like he asked, fails and falls and gets eradicated, where are you going to go? Where are you going to go, Venezuela? Where are you going to go, Canada? Where are you going to go, England, France, Germany, China, Australia? Where are you going to go? This is the last standing free nation. Where are you going to go? And the more you don't participate in your nation, the more you help it fail. That is key. So on that note, I'm going to let you guys go for today and keep an eye out. I will tweet it. I will put it in Telegram, subscribe star everywhere. I have um, when the trailer for, um, well, it's an extent, it's preview. It's a preview. <laughs> It's a very good preview of Shadowgate 2. So that should be coming later on today, if not right after the show. I'll see you guys tomorrow. Same time, same place. Pray. God bless. And be more active. We're in the final stretch now. Can you hear me? Can you hear me running? Can you hear me running? Can you hear me coming? Can you hear me? Can you hear me running? Can you hear me running? Can you hear me coming?